coming up on The Exam Room. Let's look at anti-nutrients from a cartoon perspective. Take Popeye, for instance. Popeye loved spinach, would eat cans and cans and cans of it every single day. But spinach is high in oxalates, and oxalates, as you just said, are anti-nutrients. So would you rather eat the Popeye high spinach diet or be like his friend Wimpy, who would gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today? Which diet would you prefer? 100% spinach. There's so much more in there that like we don't want to demonize this one single compound. And again, you know, if you had to pick between spinach and hamburgers and you and you knew that you were kidney sensitive, your kidney stone sensitive, I would still eat my spinach. Just I would boil it and make sure I spread it out th throughout the day and not eating huge amounts at once. Spinach has so many other healthy prop properties. It's high in antioxidants, phytonutrients, fiber, uh, phytochemicals, all that green, that chlorophyll is uh, does wonders. It's very anti-aging, anti you know, it, it's doing wonders for your body. And I would take spinach, even if it was, um, even if I was sensitive to kidney stones, I would still try to implement some spinach intake into my diet. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us coast to coast in the U.S. and in more than 150 countries. Hi to everyone listening in Pompano Beach, Florida. West Valley City, Utah, and Buenos Aires, Argentina. Wherever you are, we appreciate you helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 75 of season six, number 471 overall. Anti-nutrients. The word just sounds sinister, doesn't it? It's like something that's going to come in take away all of the beneficial vitamins and minerals that you need to stay healthy and then rob you of your health. So today, we're going on the case. What are these things? Are they truly the enemy of nutrients? How do these anti-nutrients work? And how concerned should you be? concerned enough for plant-based eaters to throw in the green towel and instead throw a couple of steaks and burgers on the grill? <laughs> well, there's also the chance that a lot of this alarm is overblown. We have to leave that possibility on the table too. So playing detective for us today is a wonderful registered dietitian by the name of Steph McBurnett. Now, Steph, she is a U.S. Naval Academy graduate, a veteran of the service, a wife, a mom, and an all-around human being who has now devoted herself to another type of service, one that helps others through nutrition education. And she's going to be doing just that with us today as she unravels this anti-nutrient mystery for us. And, you know, this particular episode comes at just the right time because there is growing interest in these things. Did you know that if you Google anti-nutrients, you'll get about 3 million search results? Literally, you can do that right now. As you listen to the show, Google anti-nutrients and you'll get 3 million things to comb through. So lots of interest in this. But we're not stopping with just anti-nutrients today. We've got much to discuss, my friend, because after the interview, 
I've got results of an interesting study showing that the ages of 60 to 64, that five-year span, those are perhaps the most critical years in determining whether or not you eventually wind up in a nursing home. You know, there are some people that are more than twice as likely to wind up there if they have certain lifestyle traits. And we're going to get into those traits in just a little bit. But first, this week's episode of The Exam Room Live with my guest, dietitian Steph McBurnett. So put on your detective's hat and play along because we're talking about anti-nutrients and your health. What you need to know starts right now on The Exam Room Live. Great to see you, Steph. Hi, Chuck. That was such a nice intro. Well, you deserve it. You deserve all the accolades, my friend, all of them, and then some. So anti-nutrients, let's talk about them. Why not? Um, By and large, I mean, when I'm writing the script for the show today, I'm like, anti-nutrients, it just sounds like such a scary, scary word, something that you would conjure up for health on Halloween. How fearful should we be of these things? Well, bottom line, you should not be concerned. I actually don't like this title of anti-nutrient because it's very kind of negative and dark. And it's like, oh, well, if it's negative nutrient, then you aren't getting any nutrients from these foods. And a lot of them are found in plant foods. And they're in the plant foods because they, they help the plant either fight off bacterial infections or fight off insects. So when we eat them, some of those leftover compounds can interfere with some of the absorption of of other foods. But at the end of the day, you're still getting tons of health benefits. And they've actually found new research is showing that some of um, these anti-nutrients actually have a lot of antioxidants and they're anti-cancer and antiviral. So these are all little buzzwords. But I love this question, Chuck, because I, I get these questions all the time. And so I really was excited to come on today because I feel like I, I want to answer, right? You know, someone asks and you say, pick me, I'll answer the question. I know the answer, but instead people go to Google and then they, you know, that makes me sad. But <laughs> but I wanted to kind of set the record straight that um, anti-nutrients are not anything to be scared about. Maybe something to, to take note of, but not something to be scared about. All right, so let's let's really nerd out here. Let's talk about uh, first of all, what are some of the common anti nutrients that we've probably heard of under their you know regular names? I know lectins have made your list. That's something I'm sure we've all heard of. Yes, I think um, I, I know all the dietitians and the healthcare providers who are listening right now. They hear lectins and they all take that big sigh of okay, because as as, as healthcare providers, you sit down with someone and you really want to, let's bring down your cholesterol. Let's lower your, your weight. Let's bring down your A1C. And so you sit and you have a long conversation about increasing whole grains, increasing bean consumption, increasing your veggies and your fruits. And you send them off, right? You send them off for three weeks and, and you're going to have your check-in and, and you're just can't wait to hear how they've been doing. And then they come back three weeks later and they say, well, my friend said I shouldn't be eating whole grains or beans because of lectins or because of phytates. And, and so I haven't done anything. I haven't eaten any of them. And, and I just sit there and I know all of you health care providers are like, yep, we've all been in that situation. Um, but 
I can't, that's why I'm excited for today. And, and to talk about lectins and phytates and oxalates is because it's not something we should forego our whole healthy diet for to avoid these compounds. And actually, it's the health benefits of eating these foods outweigh the potential negative nutritional effects. So um, I think you asked me about lectins, right? <laughs> I did ask you about lectins specifically, yeah. So yes. like, wh- how does a lectin go in there and do its anti-nutrient thing? What nutrients might a lectin prevent you from absorbing in its entirety? Yes. Yeah, so um, lectins are found in legumes. So beans, peanuts, soybeans, and, and a little bit in whole grains. And they can interfere with the absorption of calcium, iron, phosphorus, and zinc. And you're going to hear calcium a lot today. Um, that seems to be one of those. Uh, it, calcium likes to bind to things or, or things like to, ca- to bind to calcium. But the good news is if we, and, and you probably heard um, back in 2006, there was this health claim that said, if you grind up kidney beans, raw kidney beans, and sprinkle it on your rice, you, you'll lose weight. Well, after that, hundreds of people ended up in the hospital because kidney beans actually have a very high amount of lectins. And then when they're raw, um, they can start, well, first they'll bind to the calcium, iron, phosphorus, but they can cause um, gastrointestinal um, pain. So all these people were in the hospital and they asked them, what did you do? And they were like, well, we were eating raw beans. It's like, well, whoever said to eat raw beans, (laughs) the good thing about lectins is when you boil them for 10 minutes, when you boil your beans for 10 minutes, all the lectins are, are gone. So as long as you're eating canned beans or you're cooking your beans, you shouldn't have to worry about lectins. Now, some people actually wonder about peanuts. So peanuts are a legume, but you don't always cook them. And actually studies show that those lectins don't pass, they don't make it past the digestional tract for whatever reasons. You know, each plant is different. Probably there was fiber in the the peanut that binds to the lectin. And so um, we actually don't see um, a big lectin, uh, you could say, issue with peanuts. And actually, we found that there's different types of lectins, right? So wheat germ actually has a type of lectin that actually has anti-cancer effects because um, it actually will go and like attack a tumor specific. They found that lectins will um, actually go after kind of the tumor cells and not regular cells. So lectins, even if you get a little bit of them, they have anti-cancer effects. So I really, lectins is one of them that we cook our beans, right? So I really don't think you should stop eating beans. And um, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't you just have Dan Butner on, uh, Chuck? You know, good and well, I did, Mr. Blue Zones. And he loves talking about beans and how they are like one of the ultra longevity foods. He's been studying um, the longest, healthiest humans for the last 20 years. And he has found similarities in between their diets and, and other factors. And one of them is eating beans every day. So if lectins were, you know, really detrimental, we wouldn't be seeing them as a staple for these um, blue zone uh, people living to 100 and being healthy. So I really think lectins we can kind of put to bed as one that as long as you're cooking your beans, um, you should be fine. Yeah. And really, I don't know many people that want to eat the raw beans. I know you were talking about grinding up raw kidney beans and then sprinkling them on rice. Like, I don't know. That's just just doesn't 
seemed like it would even taste very good to me. So I'm going to let that one pass. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it was one of these many health trends. You know, people talk about taking shots of different things, to, you know, to to lose weight. I mean, people will do, you know, anything to to feel like they're either gaining health back. And so this is one of those that, you know, got to do your research beforehand <laughs> um, and not just take take uh, whatever was said on the internet um, by, a, you know, someone random. So yeah, you've got kids. Don't let them do shots of vinegar in middle school when they're hoping to grow another inch or hit that growth spurt, right? It just, it doesn't work out, kids. I'm so sorry. Oh gosh, uh, yes. You can't believe everything you read on the internet. Um, you've mentioned phytates a number of times already. Let's talk about those. That's another anti-nutrient that made your list today. Yeah, so uh, phytates or uh, phyllic acids are found in whole grains. You hear about it a lot when you talk when people are talking about they don't want to eat carbs because of the phytates, but um, they're in whole grains. Some seeds they're found in legumes as well, and some nuts, and they can decrease the absorption kind of of the same nutrients as lectins of iron, some zinc, magnesium, and calcium. Again, I bring up calcium. Um, but really what it is, is it's the phosphorus bound in some of the bran of these uh, whole grains or of these seeds or nuts. And so the, the good thing about, well, I guess the same with lectins, the good thing about phytates is if you, if you cook them or if you soak them, if you're soaking your beans overnight or if you're boiling, that will reduce a lot of the phytates as well. Or if you, you know, you're cooking your quinoa, right? You're not, um, you're not eating it raw. You're not eating your quinoa raw. But they've also found health benefits with phytic acid. So there's antioxidants. They they've actually been shown to protect DNA damage and can and stop cancer cell growth. Um, so they've actually been they're actively being studied for cancer. Um, and then because they bind to calcium, they actually have been shown to reduce kidney stones, um, which is kind of a, a buildup of calcium crystals in the kidneys which we'll talk about that more. But yes, by cooking, soaking overnight, sprouting, even fermentation and pickling can reduce that, can kind of release that phosphorus that's bound to these um, plants. And so phytic acid is another one that I, I don't think a lot of us are eating raw, you know, raw quinoa or, or raw, you know, raw rice that hasn't been cooked. Um, you know, so I think we are, I, I don't think it's something we need to be worried about. And again, they're actually trying to, pharmaceutical companies are trying to like bottle up phytic acid so that it can be, you know, used with cancer patients. So there are, a, a, the funny juxtaposition with these anti-nutrients is that they are coming out to be very anti-cancer and they have all these other really positive benefits. So although they may inhibit some absorption of nutrients that we do need. Um, they have a lot of benefits. And I'll also, I don't think I mentioned this in the, the beginning, but with anti-nutrients, they're only affecting the nutrients that you're eating them with. So let's say you're having, you're only, let's say you have beans once a day, it might affect the absorption of, of some iron and calcium during that meal. But if you have dinner later and you didn't, and you don't have, beans or you cook your beans really well and they're, they're, all the lectins are, are cooked out, you don't have to worry about that food that you're consuming. So that's another kind of just something of note um, that people should know that it's not something that's doing damage to your body. It's just something that may be decreasing the availability of other nutrients that you're eating at that time. 
And we, yeah, we have a few people wondering about soaking. You, you brought that in there and not necessarily like full cooking. Uh, Brian at twelve twelve wondering about soaked chickpeas and falafel. Good to go at that point? Yeah, so the soaking process releases, I don't know if you've ever soaked beans, but there's like bubbles and there's oh, kind yeah. of some residue and that is releasing some of that phosphorus. And so I would be totally good to go. And, and again, these these phytates or, or lectins, there's just not that, you know, it's only affecting that meal that you're eating. If there is even any left, let's say you don't soak for as long as you usually do, you know, so it's not something to stop eating these foods um, at all. All right. And you mentioned peanuts a little while ago as well, which was music to the ears of peanut and peanut butter lovers across the world. But Cindy is wondering about raw cashews here at 1211. She says, I heard we should not eat them raw, but I forget why. She says many recipes use them. Uh, When it comes specifically to anti-nutrients here, uh, what's your take on raw cashews? Well, um, anti the ones we were talking about was legumes and cashews are a nut and not legumes. So I don't think we need to worry about lectins or anything with raw cashews. And honestly, I don't, um, people sprout or soak their nuts so that they get creamier the next day. So that's what I've heard with soaking your raw cashews is just to get it to taste better the next day rather than just blending them straight up. So I don't think in terms of anti-nutrients, we shouldn't worry about raw cashews. You can eat raw cashews. Um, Just make sure they're not super salted or, you know, candied. (laughs) Soak them so they taste better the next day. Isn't that like leftovers at the same time? Like most leftovers just always taste better the next day. I don't know if it's just because that flavor just gets a little bit richer. I don't know what what the magic is there, man. But you know that's true. Um, Let's talk about another big one that has made the rounds. And we've even talked about oxalates here on the exam room previously. Um, Somebody had remarked to me, even uh, in my personal life, somebody close to me was like, you can never eat spinach and kale together because they kind of cancel each other out. And I assume it had something to do with oxalates there. What can you tell us about oxalates and anti-nutrients there? So oxalates are kind of the one anti-nutrient that is a little bit tricky, that if you are prone to kidney stones and they are calcium oxalate kidney stones, which means you know that it is um, the stone in your kidney is from calcium binding with oxalate because there are many different types of kidney stones. If you know you are prone, you do want to avoid or boil your big oxalate foods. So there's the big three, which is spinach, uh, Swiss chard and beet greens. Those three are very high in oxalates. So if you are sensitive to, if you know that you get kidney stones and they're calcium oxalate, I would recommend pos- you know, possibly not eating those too much, right? And definitely not blending them and putting them into smoothies at very high concentrations. Um, now, oxalates bind to calcium, and so that's kind of where uh, when when you they get kind of stuck, if you're not drinking enough water and you're dehydrated, they can kind of collect in the kidneys and and create kidney stones. So this is one that can be, you know, it, it is valid. This is a valid issue with oxalates and certain individuals. Now, I will also say that if you steam your high oxalate foods, so spinach, beet green, Swiss chard, if you steam them, that reduces the ox, they're water soluble. So it reduces the oxalate by 30 to 40%. And if you boil your spinach, 
Swiss chard or beet greens. So if you're just like, you really want to get those other healthy nutrients, that will reduce the oxalate amount by 60%. So those are some easy ways that if you are worried about oxalates, if you know that you're prone, that boiling or steaming your spinach, Swiss chard, beet greens, I'm going to just keep saying it. Those are the, those are the three big ones. Um, other than that, another thing is don't blend them so much um, in a smoothie. So if you're having spinach every single day in a smoothie, make sure you are drinking a lot of water. So this is one that could possibly come up if you're just drinking cups and cups of spinach or cups and cups of beet greens. Let's try to mix it up. Let's do kale the next day, spinach the next. Um, and keep going back and forth or adding in other things like arugula or, you know, cucumbers, doing different um, greens in your smoothie. Because you're with, I don't, you guys probably all know this, but you're putting one to three cups of spinach into a glass and you're drinking it. And so the absorption goes up really high of oxalates in a very short amount of time. So I do recommend not every single day having spinach as your um, smoothie filler, I guess you could say. Try to mix it up a little bit. Um, another thing is if you are supplementing with vitamin C, you might want to separate your high oxalate foods with vitamin C because it can um, increase the absorption. So, so this is one, I will say, Chuck, this is one that can be tricky. This oxalate, I don't want to say all the other ones are kind of can be dismissed, you know, everything's of note, but this is one that if you are prone to kidney um, stones, you do want to be aware of the high oxalate foods and what you can do to kind of reduce that oxalate amount. All right. Important question that I think can really bring everything together here for us and put some stuff into perspective. Let's turn back to an old cartoon. Let's go to Popeye. Popeye loved spinach, and he would eat cans and cans and cans of spinach famously. Matter of fact, when the cartoon was at the height of its popularity, spinach was super popular with kids. The power of marketing. How about that? Yeah. So instead of marketing cereal, why don't we market fresh food? Anyway, that's another show for another day. So you've got Popeye eating a, a ton of spinach, but then you've got his friend Wimpy who loved hamburgers and would gladly pay you on whatever day for a hamburger today, right? So let's talk about who's eating the healthier diet. Popeye with the oxalates and perhaps puts him at a higher risk for kidney stones or Wimpy with the hamburgers. If you had to choose one of the two diets as a dietitian, which one would you go with, Steph? A hundred percent spinach. There's so much more in there that like, we don't want to demonize this one single compound. And again, you know, if you had to pick between spinach and hamburgers and you, and you knew that you were kidney sensitive, your kidney stone sensitive, I would still eat my spinach. Just, I would boil it and make sure I spread it out through, throughout the day and not eating huge amounts at once. Spinach has so many other healthy prop properties. It's high in antioxidants, phytonutrients, fiber, uh, phytochemicals, all that green, that chlorophyll is, uh, does wonders. It's very anti, anti aging, you know, it, it's doing wonders for your body. And I would take spinach, even if it was, um, even if I was sensitive to kidney stones, I would still try to implement some spinach intake into my diet. There you go. Popeye, strong to the finish, unlike Wimpy. Mm -hmm. All right, let's, uh, we've got three more on your list here. Let's see if we can get to them uh, before we open up the dietitian's mailbag. Number one, uh, let's go with tannins. I believe you've Ooh. brought up the T word already, but let's take a deeper dive. Talk to us. So I'm sure 
some people in the audience have heard this. Tannins are found in tea, coffee, and, and somewhat in legumes as well. And they can decrease iron absorption. And just to kind of go back into um, my dietitian diaries, go back to when I worked um, back at a, uh, a subacute care facility, there was a lot of elderly. And elderly love their coffee, man. They had coffee when they woke up. They had coffee at breakfast. They had coffee at lunch. And they were drinking coffee at dinner. And sometimes you would see low iron levels. And, and I would go and say, well, when are you drinking the coffee? Oh, you're drinking it with every meal. So then that did kind of, you know, that affected their iron levels. So what did I do? I just suggested let's have a coffee in the morning, a coffee with breakfast, and then your, your coffee in the afternoon, just don't have it with lunch or with dinner. And it's, it seemed to clear up. We had a lot of uh, dedicated coffee lovers. Um, but again, the way you brew your coffee can reduce the tannin amount. So you can do cold brew. Um, that will, that will reduce it or light or medium roast has less tannins than the dark roast. So if you are worried, let's say, you know, you are someone who, who runs low in iron or, or on the lower level and you love coffee and you're thinking maybe to yourself, they could be related. I mean, it is a possibility. So if I were you, you start separating your coffee from your meals, maybe drinking light, light coffee versus dark, maybe having some cold brew, and that will reduce the tannins immensely. And then with tea, there is black tea has the highest amount of tannins. And then we have green tea actually has the lowest. And then there's the herbal teas, chamomile, that actually don't have any tannins. So um, it's tannins is just one of those kind of buzzwords as, as well. I think you only really need to worry is if you find out that you are low in iron, it is something to think about right? To, to kind of go, oh, I'm running low. How much, how much coffee and tea am I drinking? But if you have normal iron levels and you love coffee and you're doing fine, nothing, nothing to worry about. But, but legit here, when you were working with the, with the elderly population here, you could see like that correlation between the amount of coffee they were having and the iron levels in their blood, like legit Folgers was causing anemia. Is, is that kind of what well, I'm inferring here? I'll, I'll also say there's other factors, obviously, with people that affect sure. iron levels, right? It can be what you're eating. If you're eating enough, as we age, we, we um, tend to decrease our appetite. And then you start to be, you know, you, you aren't able to chew as well. You aren't able to taste as well. So you end up drinking a lot of your meals. And, and at the end of life, you... Um, you can just end up drinking all your meals. And, and man, those uh, individuals, they, they love their coffee. So it might have been a twofold factor that I was pulling out coffee, but adding in food. And that was also increasing their iron intake as, as well. So just kind of saying, all right, let's hold off until we've had a full sandwich or soup or mashed potatoes, something that they could chew, uh, put, you know, pudding, something that was um, a lot of soups with like the really cooked down beans is something I, I recommended. So I think there, it was a twofold process of not just the coffee, but it was, it was always something that I had in the back of my mind when I saw, you know, people drinking coffee all day long. <laughs> all right. I want to give a shout out real quick to Lori Herman in the chat right now. Just drop the message of all messages. So thanks you for uh, rescuing the benefits of spinach back on our plate. Cute Popeye versus Wimpy. And isn't it funny that spinach was readily available, but Wimpy could never afford his burger? 
Oh, Lori, that's a much deeper episode than we have time for right now. I mm-hmm. uh, also want to say hi to Nancy, who's watching right now in Wake Forest, North Carolina. Shout out to the Demon Deacons in the crowd. Nancy says she's learned so much from your amazing podcast, but this is my first time catching it live. Many thanks for raising our health IQs. Well, you are more than welcome. Thanks for being here, Nancy. Thanks for spending some of your lunch hour with us. That's awesome. All right, Steph, two more here. Uh, let's start with uh, Saponins, or if I'm mispronouncing that, please correct me at this time. Yep, saponins. It can it can be either way. Um, this is a, a less a less known anti nutrient, um, and it's kind of is along with lectins. It's it's found in legumes um, and whole grains and some spinach. And it's been it it's sapo actually means soap, so it has kind of this emulsifying um, uh, properties to it, which have been shown to sometimes disrupt the mineral absorption of iron, calcium, and zinc. But it also has anti-cancer and anti-cholesterol effect. So this was kind of a wild one that I didn't know much about and I had to um, look into. Um, It is, these saponins are definitely toxic to insects, parasite worms, mollusks, and snails, and fish. But what they found is when they started testing them on mammals, they were on like rabbits and, and, and mice, they actually didn't get absorbed as much into the digestive tract. So even though some have considered these anti-nutrients that they see reduced um, iron, calcium, and zinc absorption, but really that might just be the fact that they get past through the digestive system and they're taking some of those with them. Um, but they actually have very high antifungal, antiviral, and antibacterial effects. And this might be because of the soapiness. It kind of might just like soak down the whole the whole uh, intestines. But um, it has been shown to have potential health benefits for lowering lowering cholesterol, blood glucose, and cancer risk. So these are ones that that again, this goes into the pocket of yes, there is some evidence that it inhibits some mineral uh, d- decrease of absorption. But we are seeing so many benefits that it is not anything to worry about. And so if someone says to you, well, I can't have that because of, of you know, the soapy uh, soapinins, you say, well, actually, I heard they're antiviral and antibacterial and, you know, my iron levels are just fine and and, and I like my beans and my whole grains. So um, this is one that I would put into, you really don't, you don't have to worry about. Good to know. And uh, isn't it funny? Every every time soap, for whatever reason, in any context comes up on the show, I immediately think about cilantro just because oh, how some yeah. people like will bite into that and they think like, yeah, this tastes like soap to me. Like it's you're getting your mouth washed out for saying something you shouldn't have when you were a kid. Um, maybe that's a topic for another episode. That's fascinating. Yeah. I know that that's one of uh, our colleague, Dr. Jim Loomis's favorite topics. He's talked about that on his show, The Doc and Chef with Karen Dugan. Um, last one here. I wish that we had time to address that because it's a fascinating thing. Uh, last one on your list, and maybe I'm going to mispronounce this one as well, but goitrogens or goitrogens, which goitrogens. is it? I've heard it both ways. <laughs> goitrogens. 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 And that's because of its link to goiter. So your goiter is, um, or your thyroid um, is at the bottom of your neck. And when it's inflamed by either too little iodine, and there's other reasons, or too much iodine, it can get inflamed. And it's called a goiter because you can you could see it a little bit on people if they have a li- like a little bit of a bulb right here. And so 
These goitrogens are linked to cruciferous vegetables. Um, So think broccoli, Brussels sprouts, cabbage, and kale. And they there's been some studies that show that they prevent the absorption of iodine. And then so when they prevent the absorption of iodine, that can affect your thyroid. If your thyroid isn't getting enough iodine, it can get um, inflamed and then you see that goiter. So they're called goitrogens. The good thing is if you cook them, this kind of cooks out those properties as well. And, um, and another one is if your iron is not, if your iodine isn't low, if you're worried about this and you are, um, I know that the, the, the Esselstyns, they talk about cruciferous vegetables, eating them multiple times a day because they actually have nitric oxide in them, which is really good for your blood vessels. So they talk about eating these, these cruciferous vegetables six times a day. And if you are someone who is, you know, partaking in eating cruciferous vegetables multiple times a day, then, and you're worried about your iodine, you can go get your iodine checked. But but I have not heard of anyone on the Esselstyn's program who who has an iodine deficiency. And so I think this is another one of those. It may decrease the iodine absorption, but it's not. Um, the, the, these the studies are not panning out the way I guess these demonizing an, people who are talking about anti nutrients. Um, and actually, cruciferous vegetables. And I know we've talked about it on this uh, podcast before. They are so good for you. They have been linked to reducing so many cancers, very good for lung health. So kind of cleaning out and detoxifying the lung and the liver, as well as being high in fiber. So, I mean, I know why, you know, people suggest eating. I mean, I would suggest eating them every day. I try to have at least one serving of cruciferous vegetables a day because they definitely have these special anti-cancer properties. So, if you're, you know, you're doing your checkup once a year and you are worried about it because you're having cruciferous vegetables six times a day, just just ask your doctor, hey, when you're doing my panel, can you check my iodine as well? And and if it is, then maybe you need to move your your cruciferous vegetables away from some of the other meals of the day that you would be having iodine. So iodine can be in um, seaweed. Um, you know, nori sheets, or you can get it in iodine salt. So just really any meal that you're sprinkling a little bit of iodine salt in. So maybe separating those from from your meal, or if you do an iodine supplement, just not not having your um your broccoli with your with your supplement, even though your broccoli should be your supplement is what I what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> Goitrogens. I, I, I like goitrogens better, to be honest with you, because that sounds like it's like the nickname for a school on the Jetsons or on Futurama or something like that, right? Goitrogens. I, I, I do I, like that. I don't know. <laughs> it's just a cartoony kind of a day. Uh, speaking of the Esselstyns, are you coming to the big show on November 7th, Steph? Oh, I would not miss it. I am getting a ticket for my mom. It's on November 7th, right? November 7th at the National Press Club. Yes, indeed. Tickets it's my mom's are- birthday. That's I'm bringing her. Well, happy birthday, Steph's mom. All right, we'll make sure she gets the VIP treatment. That's fantastic. Uh, Everybody's invited. So tickets are on sale right now, pcrm.org slash events, or click that link in the episode notes. Look, we have the entire Esselstyn family coming, and we are going to honor them, bestow them with an award for their contributions to making the world a healthier place. I mean, they are like the first family of nutrition. So we've got Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn coming. We've got Rip. We've got Jane. We've got Dr. 
Dr. Esselstyn's wife, and she's coming too, and she's a little firecracker. I love them all so much. So November 7th, Washington, D.C. at the National Press Club, really just a stone's throw away from the White House. Come and join us here. Tickets, pcrm.org slash events, or that little link that's in the episode notes. Um, let's kind of put a bow on this before we open up the mailbag and just give us some of your general solutions here for still being able to maximize nutrient absorption when we're dealing with these pesky anti-nutrients, which do not appear to be nearly as sinister as their name might suggest. Yes, I think the biggest thing is if if it's beans, cooking them, <laughs> cooking your beans and you know, cooking your whole grains all the way through. And, and not that I actually don't think you should worry really at all. The only one that's tricky, like I said, was oxalates. So just be a little bit aware of that. But in general, there's so, I mean, beans are one of uh, the most impactful foods. They're high in fiber. They're high in protein. They actually do have calcium, iron, and zinc in them. And so I would not really hold back on any of those. And if you are worried, you know, you can go get your blood tested. See if you're low on on, on any of these items and and and. And that should probably ho- hopefully calm 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 me down. <laughs> but no, these all these foods actually. It's funny. I read I read a few research papers talking about anti nutrients, and at the end, the conclusion every single time was the health benefits outweigh any sort of decrease absorption of nutrients from these possible anti nutrients. And so that's I have that like highlighted in my brain that. Anti-nutrient might be a scary word, but it's nothing to be scary about, scared about. All right. So uh, highlight it, bold, underline, whatever it is you got to do. Bottom line, the good outweighs the bad here. Doesn't seem to be any question about that. Nonetheless, questions still remain. So let's take some here from the dietitian's mailbag. Uh, Number one, this too comes to us from Laurie at 1215, talking about oxalates again in particular. What is the beneficial amount of spinach versus the detriment? So like, is there a maximum amount of spinach that you might recommend somebody partaking in a day? You said cups and cups and cups is probably not the best idea, but what do you think is a safe limit there, Steph? Um, I, you know, honestly, we talk about having certain servings of vegetables per day. And so you want to have, you know, four, five, six servings of vegetables a day. And I think if you have two servings or three servings of spinach throughout the day, that's just fine. Uh, you know, if you love your big spinach salad, that happens to be three, you know, three cups in there, you're eating it with a bunch of other stuff and you're eating it slowly. I would just be um, worried if not worried, but if you're drinking a smoothie down in 30 seconds every single day with three cups of spinach, that's when you might want to say, okay, I'm going to just swap it out every other day. Um, so I think one to three cups is A-okay. All right, Roger that. Let's go to 50 plus personal training LLC. Hey, how's your free plug? 1218, can I take my calcium supplements when I'm eating a spinach salad? There you go. So calcium Calcium supplements are a little bit of a, of a hot topic. So we don't see much benefit if you're supplementing over the RDA. So if you, you know, for women, it's a, it's a, or for men, it's a thousand for women, it's 1100. If you're supplementing large amounts of, of calcium over that, then you might not, we aren't seeing any benefits to hip fracture or, or bone density. Now, if you historically 
know your diet and you're not you're not reaching that minimum thousand, then you could you, you could take a calcium supplement. But most supplements are over a thousand milligrams. So that's going to be pushing you way over the RDA. But yes, maybe you don't want to eat your calcium supplement with your spinach salad if you know that you run low already on on calcium. All right, let's see here. What else do we have here? Uh, sticking with oxalates here, I find that high oxalates foods, These, uh, this one comes to us from Rhonda, I find that high oxalate foods such as spinach make me more pl- prone to bladder infections. I'd love to hear that addressed in a future show. Well, why don't we just go ahead and address it now? Do you know of any correlation there? Well, yes, your kidneys, you know, filter down to your urine and, and, and into your bladder. So there is a connection there. And actually, sometimes when you're passing kidney stones, they, they go through your your urine and, and your bladder. So there can be a connection there. I would make sure that you're drinking enough water. And maybe for you, you might be a little bit sensitive to high oxalate foods. So I wouldn't put them in a smoothie and I would boil them. Or if you are going to eat them raw, just eat them, you know, one time a day, not multiple times a day. And so it, it looks like she might be sensitive to oxalate foods. And, and we did talk about that. So some people are. All right, let's give a couple of uh, shout outs here. A uh, global one. Here we go. Kanan uh, says, uh, hi, Chuck. Greetings from Abu Dhabi. I'm the lone ranger of Food for Life instructors here. Well, that's awesome. Thanks for carrying the torch over there. That's that's so cool. I believe that we have met in the past. So uh, good to see you again, kind of virtually, Kanan. Uh, by the way, anytime, if you need a live speaker in person at one of your classes, you got my email. Shoot me a message. I, I would love to see that part of the world. Uh, also, let's take a question from... Hmm. <laughs> you know what? Let's go to a, a leftover from the last time you were on the show. We'll just kind of broaden the scope of our conversation a little bit. Get this one from Jelly Bean. Jelly Bean with a sweet tooth watching mm-hmm. on YouTube. Is it true that all plants contain all essential amino acids? What say you, Steph? Yes. So this is, besides gelatin, which doesn't have tryptophan, this is kind of one of those those myths that plants are incomplete protein. So amino, amino acids are 20, um, there's 20 amino acids, and there's some that our body cannot create, and that is the essential amino acids. And there used to be a thought that plants did not have um, all of these essential amino acids. But really what came out is when we really, when they were really looked at, they actually do have every single one just in varying amounts. So you could say beans are low in lysine, but they do have lysine. So when you're eating a varied diet, you're going to reach your your daily allotment of these different amino acids. And this actually, there was, there's a few research studies on this, but one that really kind of epitomizes it was in 2019. It showed this beautiful um, from the NIH, uh, posted on NIH.gov, it shows this beautiful figure with all different types of plants and then all the amino acids, and you can see the varying amounts. And it's actually um, a, a really beautiful graph. And so if you're interested, we can we can put that maybe in the show notes. But yes, all plant protein, all plants have all essential amino acids. So we can put that that myth to bed. 
Take it to the bank. You heard it here, not the first time, and it won't be the last time either, but it is for on sure. You have nothing to worry about when it comes to your protein, my friends. Uh, let's go back to what it was we were talking about, cooking greens to reduce oxalates. Grab a question from our friend Allison Mahoney at 1230. Can you elaborate a little bit on cooking them to reduce the oxalate levels? Uh, for example, does water and veggie broth saute offer the same benefits as boiling that you were talking about earlier? Yes. So oxalates are water soluble. So even steaming, steaming your, I know that people um, when they're cooking spinach, or I do this too, spinach, Swiss chard, beet grains, steaming them will reduce the oxalate amount by about 40-ish percent. Um, a little bit less than if you boil them because there's more water, right? So the oxalates actually leach out into the water. And so boiling them will reduce about almost 60%. But yes, I think um, water and veggie broth, it's its a liquid, right? So it will leach out those oxalates. All right. I want to say hi to Tina and Joe who are watching in Montreal. Say, hey, it's our first time watching live. Hi, Chuck. Hi, Stephanie. Just love, love, love this show. I met Tina and Joe at the Planted Expo in Toronto earlier this year. Man, what what just great people, man. I had so much fun chatting with them. Uh, so, hey, guys, how you doing? Um Fun story from Marissa1234. I'm a blood donor, been vegan, and couldn't believe it. They say my blood is very high in iron. How about that? How about that, Steph? Yes. Um, my, actually, my iron went up when I became plant-based. I was always, I always ran low in, in, in high school and college. And then um, after I went plant-based, mine is actually the highest it's ever been. So that's, I just think that's interesting too, right? <laughs> it's Fascinating. That is fascinating. Um, you know what? Speaking speaking of not being vegan, let's let's talk a little bit about meat, right? We've talked about anti nutrients in all of these plant foods. Uh, are they also found in meat and dairy, other animal based foods? So yes, there are some anti nutrients found in animal foods as well. But if we're talking about, so if we're talking about compounds that bind to something so um so that it, you don't you decrease the absorption one thing and i'll go back into my my dietitian diaries when i was working for women infant and children the the WIC program i was a nutrition counselor and and women uh pregnant women and infants and young children were all in this program and they receive uh, a package of food once uh once a month but in order to kind of get that package um you had to come in for nutrition counseling and and they kind of checked on you. We did height, weight, and we did iron. We did, we you know, we took iron of these two-year-old, three-year-old kids. And, you know, at first I was kind of like, this is interesting. But what it came of it is if you found a child who was low in iron, the first question you ask is, what is, what is he drinking during the day? And the mom goes, he gets up and has milk and then he has milk in his cereal and then he has milk with lunch and then he always needs milk to go to sleep. So he has milk before bed and then he has milk with dinner and then he has to go to bed. You know, we give him one to two bottles of milk and, you know, milk actually binds the calcium binds to iron. So calcium binds to iron in general as well. So the first thing we would talk about is, you know, he is X years old. He should be only having you know, three glasses of milk a day. And let's try to not have them during meal times because we want to bring his iron up. So if we're talking about nutrients that inhibit other nutrients, then we need to talk about dairy milk as well. I mean, but really calcium in general 
binds to iron. So it's just one of those like really tricky things. I mean, are we going to all call dairy milk an anti-nutrient? I don't know. I mean, but you could even say the calcium in plant milk would do the same thing for, for iron as well. So... All right. And let's let's wrap with this. Speaking of iron, uh, you mentioned that your iron levels went up when you began to eat the plant-based diet. I wonder uh, if you are big on making sure that there's vitamin C on the plate as well when you have a food with iron. And we'll wrap with a question from Jacob. Uh, isn't it a good combination, an all-in-one package, if you will, of plant-based iron with vitamin C, such as what you might find in a pomegranate? So... Yes, pomegranates are very high in vitamin C. Iron, they're, they're not as high in. There is some iron in fruits and, and in vegetables. So pomegranate, I wouldn't call like the high iron food. So even if you, let's say there's one milligram of iron in a pomegranate, and that is being very generous, you can almost double or quadruple by the amount of vitamin C. So that would potentially get you about four milligrams. Well, men need about eight milligrams for the day for, of iron and women need 18 milligrams, especially menstruating women, 18 milligrams of iron per day. And so a pomegranate, I would not consider the all-in-one package, but if you take uh, raisins, like dried fruits, dried figs or apricots, they're actually almost to two milligrams in a half a cup. And then if you times that by four, you know, because of the vitamin C in those fruits, you can get to almost eight, you know, six to eight milligrams by just having a half a cup of raisins. So yes, vitamin C increases your iron absorption. But you also do have to think, is this something that's higher in, in iron? But iron can be found in fruits and vegetables and even pomegranates. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's wrap with another great success story. Uh, old Pueblo Vegan, all right, gets the shout out of the day here. Uh, <laughs> 63 years old, just put their age out there because, well, they're proud. Uh, went from a 44-inch waist down to a 32, now a 31 in Levi's 501s, but who's counting? Uh, you're a major hero of mine, Chuck. Well, thank you, uh, Old Pueblo. That is awesome. And at 63, that is even better news because it is yet more proof that it is never too late to take charge of your health. And look, it's not just about weight loss. Yeah, it's fun to talk about going from a 44 down to a 32. Like, that's great. I love the fact that I went from 66 to 32 inch waist, right? But there's so much more to it than just a weight loss journey. And old Pueblo, you are in for the ride of your life. Your life right now is just beginning at the age of 63. So thank you so very much for being here and sharing that amazing story with us. And if you guys feel like you've raised your health IQ by a point or two today, go ahead and like this video, subscribe to the channel here on YouTube, or if you're watching on Facebook, be sure to like the Physicians Committee there as well. That's how we continue to grow and make the world a healthier place together. Uh, Steph, you have just been a true gem, and I would love to bring you back again. I think that we definitely will, and then we are going to solve what truly seems to be the world's most pressing issue, at least in the McBurnett house, and that is how to eat a healthy plant-based diet while on a submarine. So let's do that again sometime. Yeah, we're, we're up for it. I'll, uh, I'll ask my, my husband what he's doing down there <laughs> when he's under the, under the ocean, how many fruits and vegetables he can get. He, he definitely hoards them a little bit, I think, when he's, when he's under, underwater, underway. But um, 
he definitely does his best, I will say. And I, and I think we need to bolster and support all kind of institutions in increasing their um, healthy foods. <laughs> yeah. And you guys thought I was just talking nonsense and gibberish. No, legit. Like her husband on a submarine eating a plant-based diet. And this is just, it's amazing to me. I love it so much. I want to do a whole show just devoted to it. Maybe we can do it from the sub. Can we make that happen? I don't know, but we're going to try. We're going to try. I, I asked my husband and it wasn't a instant no. It was like, a, huh, let me see what I can do. I'll take that as like a 10% yes. Yeah. Exactly. So I'm going to hang on to that, <laughs> that 10%. Exactly. All right, Steph, thank you so much for your time. This has been tremendous. All right, so let's brass tax this here, get to the bottom line. And the bottom line is that there just is not enough data to say these anti-nutrients are why we should not be eating vegetables or a whole food plant-based diet. There's just not enough evidence there to say that these things should give you any reason to change your diet if you're already eating plant-based. Not enough evidence, not even close to enough. But it does make for an interesting conversation. I mean, you have to admit the word anti-nutrient is certainly one that's going to grab your attention, but it's also not a word worth losing any kind of sleepover whatsoever. So eat freely, my friends. Enjoy your plants. And I want to thank Steph McBurnett one more time for providing us some clarity on the anti-nutrient matter today. So yeah, again, don't go freaking out when you're on YouTube and you're thumbing around and a video pops up that says, this is proof we're not meant to eat plants. A headline like that is simply skewed science and we are putting a fork in that today. Okay, let's switch gears now and talk about this study I mentioned before the Q&A with Steph. And this one comes to us from the Journal of Epidemiology and Community Health. And it looks at the lifestyle habits of people over the age of 60 and whether they eventually wind up in a nursing home. And the headline here reads largely as you probably might suspect. Poor lifestyle of over 60s linked to heightened risk of nursing home care. No surprise there. But what you might not expect is just how big of an increase we're talking about. Unhealthy lifestyle, particularly between the ages of 60 and 64, associated with doubling in risk, so says the study. And it appears that that 60 to 64 year range, based off of these findings, people between those ages are finding that they are perhaps the most critical years for determining how you could be spending the final years of your life. And this is not a small study either. We're talking about a study of over 127,000 people that were recruited to what's known as the Australian 45 and up study. And so these participants were put into three groups, either low, medium, or high lifestyle risk. And about 25% of them went into the low risk group. 62%, the majority went into the medium risk group, while the remaining 14% went to the high risk group. And here are the lifestyle factors that the researchers are really taking a close look at here. Smoking, physical activity, sitting time, sleeping patterns, and diet. 
And what do you think the biggest factor here is? Well, it's not diet, and it's not the amount of time that you're sitting throughout the day, or your sleep, or even your exercise. It appears to be smoking, as a matter of fact. Smoking is associated with a 55% higher admission rate for nursing home among current smokers. So if you're still lighting up, now is a fantastic time to quit, especially as you look to your later years. So let's take an even deeper dive into what this study finds. It had data from people over the age of 60, 60 and up, again, 127,000 of them, and well beyond just the ages of 60 to 64 that we're talking about. But researchers say these five lifestyle factors appear to be particularly influential during those years, that 60 to 64 year span. And in fact, people between the ages of 60 and 64 who had the most unhealthy lifestyle habits were more than twice as likely to be admitting to a nursing home than those with the healthiest lifestyle habits. Now, in case you're wondering about diet here, this is an observational study. So, the way they got their data was participants were asked to fill out a questionnaire and send back their responses. There wasn't any real control there about what they could and could not eat. They were just asked to write down how many servings of fruits or vegetables or whatever. So there's quite a few limitations. Matter of fact, I'll give you the questions that they were asked about their diet. Question number one, how many servings of fruit do you eat in a day? Question two, same thing for vegetables. How many servings per day? Question three, how many times do you eat red meat every week? And for red meat here, they were talking about beef, lamb, and pork. And then there was how many times a week do you eat processed meat? They cited specific examples of bacon, sausage, salami, and burgers. And then lastly, how many times a week do you eat fish or seafood? So only five questions there. Certainly they could have dug a little bit deeper and perhaps, perhaps that's why researchers concluded that diet is not associated with an increased risk of nursing home admission while all of the other lifestyle factors were. And the researchers concede as much here. I'll read to you verbatim from the press release that was sent to me. It said, quote, dietary assessment wasn't comprehensive, which might explain why no independent association was found between diet and nursing home admission. But nevertheless, they say their findings show that, quote, lifestyle factors are strongly associated with the risk of long-term nursing home admission in men and women older than 60 years. At least they say in Australia where this data came from. And they continue to say that the need for nursing home care is an outcome of great societal and economic importance with increased population aging. Yeah, we are living longer. And we want to live healthier too. It's less of a financial burden, less of a burden for your family. And frankly, it's a quality of life question at the end of the day, isn't it? Yeah. So lots to get into. And if you would like to take a peek at the study, dig a little bit deeper into the data, you can do that. There's a link to it in the episode notes. So 60 to 64, my friends, take very good care of yourself if you are in that age bracket and certainly take very good care of yourself no matter what age, but some very interesting data certainly coming out of Australia. 
Hey, listen, if you feel like you've raised your health IQ by a point or two, you're a little bit smarter when it comes to your health after listening to today's episode, please go ahead and subscribe to the Exam Room Podcast by the Physicians Committee on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever it is that you get your shows. And when you subscribe, please also leave a five-star rating and bonus points to you. If you're real fired up about your health, go ahead and leave a nice review as well. That's how this show continues to grow and how we continue to reach more than 15 million people. And it is a true privilege to make the world a healthier place. And we can't do that without your support. So please go ahead and give that five-star rating and a nice review if you would be so kind. There's links to everything in the episode notes for you to do just that. And also, We want to celebrate with you. We want to party with you. We want to bring our health message to Washington, D.C. in person with the first family of plant-based nutrition. We are talking about the Esselstyn family. So November 7th at the National Press Club will be the exam room live and in person, a night with the Esselstyns. We've got Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn coming. His wife, Anne, is coming. Jane, their daughter, is coming. And Rip Esselstyn is coming as well. And we want you to be there as we honor their legacy and give them an award for their contributions to making the world a healthier place. Tickets are on sale right now. Click the link in the episode notes or just head over to pcrm.org slash events. pcrm.org slash events. And again, that link is in the episode notes. And if you're listening in Omaha, I'm headed your way for the Healthy for a Lifetime conference. You can visit healthyforalifetime.org for ticket information there. That's coming up September 23rd. It'd be great to see you there as well. Melissa Sherlock always does such a great great job with that event. So it'd be great to see you in Omaha on September 23rd. But for today, that is going to wrap things up, my friend. I want to say thank you one more time to Steph McBurnett for being here, talking anti-nutrients, clearing up some confusion while raising our health IQs. And for everyone at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember... As always, keep it plant-based.